Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. <laughs> I hope you guys got that. This is the Bird Calls. What's up, Pels fans? I'm your host, Preston Ellis, and today we have a libated editor-in-chief to thebirdrights.com, Ali Cosell. How you feeling, Ali? What are you talking about? No. <laughs> I'm feeling great, man. Good weather. I'm feeling even better, and we can get into that later. <laughs> All right. Ali's got a, a friend in town visiting, went over to the game last night, sat with Kevin Berriasso. He is... He has had a, a memorable 24 hours, to say the least. And we also have at our side once... Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Again, the ever-dependable David Grubb of Crescent City. Thanks so much for joining us, David, on such short notice. Oh, always a pleasure. You know, I'm available to you guys when you need me. Yeah, well, we, we really appreciate it. This is probably like the third week in a row I just reached out to David and said, hey, what are you doing right now? And he's like, literally, I've been waiting this entire day just to hear from you so that I could be on this podcast. I'm kidding. Those well, are most days. <laughs> not what he's <laughs> most days. Uh, again, you guys can follow him at DM Grub in Crescent City Sports. Of course, Ali Cosell, if you can spell it, good for you. Uh, let's talk about this game. I couldn't spell it for a long time. I couldn't even pronounce it the right way. Of course, we beat the Hornets last night, 119 to 115, in a, a game that had me holding my knees, shaking back and forth rapidly, especially in that fourth quarter as the, the Hornets pulled away at one, 104 to 198, prompting an Alvin Gentry timeout. Of course, the Pelicans came right out of that with a 7-0 run and eventually pulled it out behind Drew Holiday, just as they did two months ago against the Hornets. Uh, Drew Holiday sure does like the final two minutes playing against Charlotte, doesn't he, Ollie? <laughs> I don't know, man, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to take it. Oh, that's it. I was <laughs> expecting like a two-minute rant. All right, moving right along. <laughs> Rajon, 
more? No, you want more? No, no, Ali, I'll take it. You know what? This is a good spot for David Grubb to talk about. Sometimes the, the Pelicans are are making this a little bit too interesting. We saw last night the Spurs, who were playing on Thursday, uh, beat the Magic by 36. And I think it was John Schumann posted on Twitter, the Pelicans are really good in, in crunch time minutes. I think they're 15-4 and four in their last games, uh, in their last 19 games, decided by five points or less. David, why do you think the Pelicans like making these games so interesting? Well, I think it, it always comes down to the depth issue. Um, the fact that a lot of times because, that you know, you have guys playing out of position occasionally um, and you're going with lineups that aren't, aren't as experienced playing together, you have this propensity to give up leads. And we've seen that from the beginning of the year. So you end up in a lot more close situations. The difference has been as of late, like you're, you're right that they have played better in those situations mm-hmm. rather than making the turnover, they're creating them. Uh, rather than missing a shot or taking an ill-advised shot, they're getting the ball into the guys who can, that you expect to make plays. So I think that's been a big difference for them um, as, as since they've established more of a, we're going to Drew, we're going to Anthony in these crucial situations. Ali, let's concentrate a bit more on the bench as uh, David was discussing the depth. In our preview, we discussed how shorthanded the Hornets were coming into this one without Michael Carter-Williams, without Cody Zeller, without Willie Hernan Gomez. Really, the only thing they have to talk about on their bench is Malik Monk, a guy who struggled. He's a rookie. He's going to get better. But this season, you know, he's definitely not a rookie of the year candidate. Frank Kaminsky, who did kill the Pelicans the last time they faced us, had 21 points, albeit with just two rebounds. Offensive boards were his problem back in January. And then you've got Jeremy Lamb, who who put up a good scoring night, 16 points, but just not a lot of firepower coming off the bench. We expected the Pelicans to really capitalize on these guys, and still our starters had to play really heavy minutes with Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis both playing 39 minutes. Why is the bench struggling so much right now, Ollie? I don't think you can put all this on the, on the bench, Preston. I mean, they, we gave up 115 points, so you can't attribute that all to the bench. I noticed throughout, you know, the first quarter even, where the Pelicans, I think, where were they, guys? They were leading like 31 to 20 or something like that. And then to close out that first quarter when Anthony Davis and both, you know, that was the best thing I thought about that game, by the way. Alvin Gentry split up. Alvin Gent or Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday, their time on the court. So the fact that we had a star, so to speak, on the court the whole time was a big deal. But the fact that of the matter was they still made their runs. And we saw that time and again. At least, what was it, three or four times, Pelicans built up a nice lead. You thought they they were going to break the game open. And here comes the Hornets. And usually it was led by Kemba Walker. Wow. That guy, I felt like, you know, that dead-eye shooter. Can you imagine if we had somebody like that on this team? Anyways, I'm going to stop wishing because uh, (laughs) now he came up big. We can't dismiss dismiss that. Although, uh, I I don't think any of us saw any of that coming because Drew, up to that point, honestly, I thought was having kind of a bad game because he wasn't really locking down Kemba. And on the offensive end, we didn't see that pick and roll. We didn't see those drives where he was finishing at the hoop or, you know, just knocking down his usual array of jumpers. So until that, those final three or four minutes, I honestly thought Drew was having kind of another one of those off games. But thankfully, he did come through. But Preston, answer your question. You can't just blame the reserves. You can't blame a certain group. I just don't think that the Pelicans are as, as good of a team as the record almost makes them seem to be. I know we're 11 games over 500. We have had some really legitimate good wins. But overall, when, when, when you watch this team day in, day out, they're not taking a lead and sustaining it, like, say, Utah Jazz. Like, say, whoever else is playing through a good stretch where they'll maintain a lead of 10 to, you know, maybe 20 points and just finish the game off. The Pelicans always seem to make it interesting. 
And I honestly think it's it, it's a lot of factors. It's not just, you know, a bench problem. It's it, it's not just a chemistry issue. I, I think it's just a giant combination of things as to where, honestly, this team is Anthony Davis. Then you've got Drew Holiday. And then at times, you're not sure what else you're getting. Thank God for Rajon Rondo. Let's talk about him for a minute. That Hornets game, outside of him breaking down opponents, getting in the paint, causing their defense to collapse, Drew wasn't doing it. Anthony Davis wasn't doing it. So it was literally Rondo. So those 17 assists last night were legit. So I honestly think he deserved almost a game ball to, uh, to that effect. So, Preston, I, there's no easy answers with the Pelicans. They honestly, they're a team that they are what they are. They're not going to be a team that you can count on night in, night out to give that effort against a sub-500 team, take care of business, you know, easily. So you have to expect that the starters are going to be pushed to the limit. You have to expect that you're going to need somebody to rise to an occasion. And, you know, that's what they live by. And so that's what I'm expecting from uh, from them for the rest of the season. Ollie, you are on fire. I think I, I spotted what? three Dennis Green quotes in there. We are, they are who we thought they were. Uh, I was just missing you letting them off the hook. Uh, let's let's go over to Grub. We could talk about the bench all, all day. Like Ollie said, uh, you know, the starters are going to have to carry the load. We, we've had some guys struggling and Nikola Meritich, Etwan Moore, and Darius Miller. Darius Miller put up zero points again last night. A lot of Pelicans in double, double figures. And before we talk about the bad, like Ollie said, we have to talk about the good. And while his positive minus uh, net rating might be misleading. Emeka Okafer, speaking of game balls, is a guy very deserving of it. Against Dwight Howard being pummeled all game long, 14 points, eight rebounds, and just make, making his will known against Dwight. Now, Dwight still put up 22 and 11, still an impressive performance. But one thing that I was afraid of going into this game is Dwight Howard had to monopolize all of his time against Boogie back in January, and that took away his ability to help, to kind of roam the lame shot block. In this one, he wasn't able to do that because Emeka was not only uh, playing Dwight so aggressively, he was also sealing him off, putting his body in the right position. The Pelicans were were leading and rebound 18-7 to 7 in the first quarter, and a lot of that is just doing grunt work on Oakford's uh, behalf. Talk about, I, I mean, not not overall because we do this to, to death, but Emeka Oakford just continues producing at this high level. Grub, talk about his performance against... I, I mean, arguably one of the better centers in the past 10 years. And can he keep up this level of production? Um, I think the good thing is that when Okafor came over, you know, you, you have relatively fresh legs for the NBA game and they've done a, a relatively good job of managing his minutes. You know, every once in a while he'll get into those high twenties out of necessity right now, but his, his defensive ability, you know, those types of instincts don't go away. He knows how to use his body. He's He knows how to, to create space to block shots or to just make things difficult for people. And he doesn't give up position in the post. And against a guy like Dwight Howard, and Anthony Davis did a very good job uh, down the stretch as well, just not conceding uh, space to Dwight. Uh, I think that was huge for the, for the Pelicans. And Okafor is, you know, outside of that one ill-advised jump shot that kind of clanged off the right side of the backboard, you know, he knows when he's supposed to be um, aggressive offensively. If they're going to leave him alone for those 10 to 15 footers, he's going to take those. And, and he's been making them at a decent rate. And, and he's able to, uh, you know, clean things up you know, in a, uh, when, when uh, for some offensive rebounds. So I just like that he's been steady. He doesn't try to do things outside of himself. And I think more than anything, he's, he's a good communicator on the back end of the defense that allows Anthony Davis to roam a little bit more and pursue the blocks that he's been getting as of late. Here's a question for you guys. Who has been the best center Anthony Davis has ever played with besides DeMarcus Cousins? 
And not I mean, it, it's got to be a Mecca Okafor unless you want to put Omar mm-hmm. Ashik or Alexis Agensa in there. Uh, Robin Lopez. Uh, that, that's the one I was thinking. Robin Lopez, his very first center he played with, was his best one until these last 15 games. I think a Mecca's been better. What right, do you guys think? I mean, yeah, I think Emeka because of his defensive activity to me is 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 a more valuable player than than what Lopez is, is even though I really like Robin Lopez too as a contributor. I think it's what you said earlier, David, just just two minutes ago, as to where Emeka's seriously playing now to this specific role, as to where I felt like honestly he's a better player now than he was with the Hornets six seven years ago because back then he was more of a focal point on offense. Now he's literally just like a release valve. So he may get that occasional mid-range jumper, but outside of that, he's got to work for his points or he's got to just get open or underneath around the rim. And I think he is hitting it to a T, and that's exactly what this team needs. I, I think the final statistics are are a bit misleading. We're going to talk more about rebounding. Of course, the, the Hornets are the fourth best rebounding team in the association and the, the first best in offensive rebound. And yet in this one, they were out-rebounded on the offensive glass by the Pelicans 14-8. to eight. In addition to that, the Pelicans out-rebounded them as a whole 56-50. to 50. A lot of this has to be attributed to Emeka Okafor and just how hard he was working. In addition to that, the Pelicans had 33 assists. So, just a really efficient game offensively and defensively. While the Pelicans gave up 115 points, they weren't terrible holding the Hornets to 26% from three-point range and 48% from the field. A lot of this just has to be attributed to pace since the All-Star break. And since Boogie went down, the Pelicans by far have been the number one rated pace team in the league. Uh, let's let's continue this, this same line of thought, Ali. I, I lost my mind for a second there just talking about statistics. 78 <laughs> points in the paint to 64 points in the paint. Are, are baskets just coming too easily? Is it because how quickly the Pelicans are attacking in, at the beginning of the shot clock? Why why have the Pelicans been scoring so much and pushing the pace so much, even with Emeka Okafor on the floor? Well, that's just it. When you push the pace, Preston, you're not going to have all five guys for both teams on the other end of the floor. Therefore, you're able to get to the rim easier, and that's exactly what Alvin Gentry is striving for, Chris Finch, all those guys. They want to get the easiest hoops. And for the Pelicans, thank God, I am loving the fact they're not settling. You've got guys pulling up on the wing, like, say, Golden State Warriors, where they'll pull up on a transition break. And you see Clay Thompson or whoever else spotting up from three. No, the Pelicans are going right to the rim, whether it's Drew, um, Anthony Davis, or each one more. They have one uh, thing in mind. That's to get to the hoop. So that's a big, big part of it. The other fact is, um, you know, the game is kind of discombobbled as to where you don't see anybody ever walking up the floor anymore when the Pelicans play, not since Boogie's gone down. So that's a big deal. It's not so much as transition. It's just that they're, they're just moving the ball ahead with a pass. You know what I mean? So you don't, you're not necessarily playing at this lightning speed, but you've got one guy breaking out. And it's normally been for the Pelicans, either Drew Holiday or each one more. So that has also contributed to the law, all those points inside the paint. And then of course you're running all these pick and rolls. Right. You're running an offense that's geared towards our strength, which is getting Anthony Davis the ball who can catch, you know, the ball pretty much over anybody and everybody, whether it's on a pick and roll in the post when when, when there, there's like a play being run or um, just within general sense of the offense. We, we don't see those screens like, say, for, for instance, Washington, what we see Bradley Beal coming off two screens, shooting threes. Same thing with Utah and Ingles, how they they try and start the offense outside in as for the Pelicans. I feel like they've really made a concerted effort on getting the ball in first, no matter through who, how, or at what point in the shot clock. And honestly, it plays to their advantage, guys. Uh, What we saw in December, they are not that good of a shooting team. 
Um, yeah, that was great. That month of December where we were, what, top two, three maybe in the league and uh, shooting those three-point shots. But that's not who they are, obviously. Drew Holiday can't even really crack, what, 30 31% on the season from three-point range. So what they're doing is they're playing to their strengths, and I think they're doing a great job. So I think that's what the focal point of this discussion needs to be on, the fact that they are playing to their strengths, that they are pushing, whether it's pushing the ball, you know, whether it's just in transition – whether it's within the offense, whether they're trying to just hit AD on rim runs. I'm just so glad that they never reverted to, you know, trying to replace DeMarcus Cousins' production on the outside, whether, you know, so through some high-low action. They're, everything pressing is funneling down through the rim, and I think it's a great, great idea, and it's working so far. David, I collected my brain, and I remember what I was going to say. Uh, the, the Pelicans led in every category uh, – Except one, and this is a pretty substantial one. Of course, the the Charlotte Hornets are number one in the NBA in getting to the free throw line. They averaged 27, and they got 22 last night, made 18 of them, good for 82%. However, they still allow 19 to their opponents. Uh, But the Pelicans only got eight last night. Uh, I was getting really frustrated on Twitter, as a lot of people were. They went 32 game minutes from the eight-minute mark in the second quarter all the way to the final minute in the fourth quarter before they got another one. They had only had six up until that point, only had eight on the night, and that was a difference of 12 points. The Pelicans had 39 made baskets in the paint, Mm -hmm. and yet they only got eight free throws. David, (laughs) were you getting frustrated with the officials last night? You know, I've I've been thinking about this because obviously this – particularly at home, this becomes an issue. You know, fans are really, really agitated about the lack of foul calls that they perceive at home. And, um, you know, last night, what it seems to me is there is an impact based on the size of the Pelicans' backcourt. That's what it feels like to me, is that other teams are able to obscure contact better because of the size. And that's a silly – because I don't think there's an agenda by NBA refs to discredit – or to to take advantage of the Pelicans. I don't I think that that would just be strange. Why would you focus on this team of all teams? But I think that size sometimes does come into play because you don't it's not as obvious and you don't have guys on the Pelicans who necessarily are sellers of contact like DeMarcus was. I mean, you know, DeMarcus that's his thing is he if he gets hit in any kind of way he's going to let you know. But Drew is the kind of guy even when he gets bumped he just keeps going. And you know part of this is theater and people want to see that, oh, they want to hear the smack. They want to see the movement. Even if it can be perceived from the audience, refs are people too, and they're looking for for thing, you know, for, for particular things. And I think the Pelicans can sometimes get taken advantage of in that regard. But I think also because of the pace, they end up taking a lot of shots. You know, out of those, you get 30, 68 shot attempts, and they went 39 for 68. Because a lot of those shots, you get Rondo missing layups at the rim. You get um, shots that are in a hurry that just, you know, floaters that, that don't go down because you're, sh- you're coming up short of contact. So you also have to look at what kind of shots are being taken in the paint, too, and who's getting the most of them. And you see the AD got the vast majority of the foul calls last night because he's the one who's in the paint initiating contact from a post-up standpoint. Do you have anything to add to that, Ollie? No, David nailed it. I mean... <sighs> It, to me, it's completely discouraging. I mean, to answer your question outright, yeah, the Pelicans had nine free throw attempts against Sacramento, 18 against Washington, 13 against Utah, and then, of course, you just mentioned eight against Charlotte. I'm sorry, in no world does that fly. It should not fly, especially when most of those games come in a person's home court. As we know, referees tend to have a little bit of a bias towards the home team. 
they should also have a little bit of a bias towards the best player on the court, which is Anthony Davis. And I thought, honestly, in that Charlotte Hornets game, AD got hit at least several times before, you know, they, they finally decided to blow a whistle. I mean, he was getting hit by either Dwight Howard. And I remember, especially, what was it, Tr- Drayvon Graham? Or what, what was the backup came in for <laughs> He was leaning on AD hard on one play, literally just mugged him, and there was no foul call. So I can understand the fans' frustration because the games, you're, you're never going to get every play right. And I'm not here to berate the rest. But it hasn't been in favor of the Pelicans enough as to where you can, like, say, all right, they got their share of calls. The other team got their share of calls. No, I also feel like the Pelicans haven't gotten their share of calls. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about some more positive stuff and go back to Drew Holiday as we were discussing him earlier. Uh, I'm sure everybody saw the article. I'm going to try my best on this. I learned how to say it three months ago, and then I forgot, but I'm going to say Shams Charania. Uh, hopefully that's close, and I'm not uh, disrespecting him in any regard. Of course, he had that big article on Yahoo. Uh, Pelicans guard Drew Holiday opens up about the most challenging times of his life, and he had the final 10 points in the last 240 uh, last night helping lead the Pelicans to victory. And Anthony Davis, uh, of course, I I can't remember which game it was specifically where Drew Holiday missed two free throws to seal the game, and Anthony Davis got that offensive rebound to help seal the form. Do you guys remember which game that was? That's the – was that the Brooklyn game? That was the early Brooklyn game. Yeah, well, uh, Anthony – Anthony uh, repaid the or Drew Holiday repaid the favor this time. Anthony Davis went to him uh, post game and told him thank you for bailing us out there and helping him win. And just to to put it into perspective, what he's been going through with his wife, uh, all of this going back dating back to last year where he missed the first twelve games. He said in this article, as a man and as an athlete, you always feel like you can handle things by yourself. You feel like I got to the league, I did it by myself. You think and you serve people along the way, but I put in the work. That was something in my control. But my wife's situation, it really wasn't in my control. So to bounce back from that has been pretty cool, pretty special to me. There's a lot more in the article. I encourage everybody to check it out. We, we've seen the association as a whole. A lot of guys are coming out and talking about the stresses that they go through on a daily basis. Uh, Kevin Love really got started with his Players' Tribune article. But now we're we're getting a glimpse behind True Holiday, who's a really nice guy, but he's always kind of quiet, not, not a, a real vocal leader type, just like a good all-around quiet guy, doesn't argue for foul calls. He's been playing better. And now that we've seen what he's going through and, and how positive, how positively his, his family life has, has grown in the past year and a half, his play has translated on the court. Ali, how, how nice is it to see like the other side of Drew Holiday, both translating on the court and off the court? I'm in love with it, man. I've been sticking up for Drew Hodding. And when I first met David, I remember talking highly of Drew. You know, it was before he was awarded that big contract. I always felt like there was more to Drew's game, more to just his all-around abilities, and that we had not we had not been privy to it, simply because whether it was injury, whether it was family affairs. And um, I always felt like he, he just didn't get the support because, you know what, not everybody is able to play at 100% every year, 90%. You know, things happen, whether it's injuries, whether it's off-the-court issues. And I felt like, Drew, that happened to him, you know. He was coming off an all-star campaign in Philly where, honestly, he was on a bad team. And he really made that team, or he pushed him into the playoffs that season in 2012-13. So I felt like he was a legitimately, you know, one of the top 20, 30 players in the league. And the Pelicans, you know, our fans never really got a chance to see him because of the injuries, because of everything else that cropped up. So now to see this, I am, I'm just ecstatic because, you know, I, last year I defended him a lot and at, towards the end of the season, even after that Denver game, guys, where he had a couple air balls and then he dribbled off his foot. 
I remember everybody was just, you know, up in arms about him. And, oh, God, are, are the Pelicans actually even considering on resigning him to anything closely, remotely to a uh, max contract? And so I just took that stance of, you know, it, it's just you're not paying that guy. You're paying the guy who you think you're going to get. And uh, guess what? That's who we've ended up with. Real quick, Preston, I just noticed that the game you were talking about where Drew missed those couple free throws, it was the San Antonio game where it was in like within, you know, last 30 seconds, he missed two free throws and AD saved the team with the offensive rebound. So it wasn't the Brooklyn game. I just wanted to clarify that for the listeners. It was against San Antonio. That's a really nice segue, but we're not ready to get uh, to San Antonio just yet. <laughs> By the way, I've uh, got a fabulous uh, preview with J.R. Wilco of Pounding the Rock. You guys should check that out. It should be right under this uh, this podcast. I want to take it to Grubb because if it was up to David Grubb, not only would Drew Holiday be the comeback player of the year or the most improved player of the year, I should say, he would be on the NBA all-defense team. He really has had an astounding season. It gets better and better, and every you know, we, we see the shooting fall off of guys like Darius Miller and Etwan Moore, but we, we haven't seen any fall off from Drew Holiday's game. In fact, it seems to get better and better. Uh, talk talk a bit about his improved play, uh, his improved emotional state, and how it's all making him, uh, I, I guess, a closer version of his 76er self. Right, and I think, you know, you know, part of that piece, the first thing I had to do was apologize to Drew because I have been really critical of him. And and Ollie will tell you, I mean, you know, short-sightedly, we were taught, we were, I mean, there was a legitimate debate uh, that we were carrying on from week to week about Patty Mills versus Drew Holiday. And now in hindsight, it just, it makes me feel ridiculous. Um, but I think you're right. Absolutely. Once you have your mental uh, issue however it is, things that, that take you away from the court and injuries can affect your mind. And, and of course, when you're, when your spouse is dealing with a tremendous health issue that can affect your focus on court, uh, because over the last two years, the thing that you always heard out of Alvin, out of Anthony, and even when DeMarcus arrived was that they were constantly seeing what Drew was capable of, but it wasn't showing on game days. And that that was incredibly frustrating. Like you said, now he's playing up to that potential outside of those last those two games, the one where Anthony missed completely and then carrying over into the uh, the Utah game, he had the, he struggled at those with his shot and his aggressiveness. But, you know, he's been consistent. And that's been the thing. He, throughout the year, he has gotten better. His three-point shooting is never going to be great. But uh, he's been able to hit some timely shots. Yesterday wasn't the first time he's done that this season. So I think that there's a confidence uh, that Drew has now in his body uh, in his personal situation and the stability now with that contract of knowing that he's probably going to be in new Orleans for the foreseeable future, where he certainly was the topic of debate as either a trade candidate or somebody that might get let go in free agency. So I think all those factors contribute to this. And when you combine that with the opportunity that's, that's come his way since Boogie has gone down and if him being back into a focal point of the offense as a primary scorer rather than being the third guy. I think, again, he's seen I can put up those points against really solid guards on a night-to-night basis, and I can do it for myself and continue to create for others without having to worry about one suffering because of the other. Uh, I just have to say this. Uh, sorry sorry to Michael McNamara in advance, but uh, 
Uh, he and I were talking about Jordan Crawford at length on Twitter early, and Jordan Crawford just gave him a shout-out. He said, at Silver and Mac, you can tell you don't know hoop at all. So shots fired at McNamara from Jordan Crawford. Of course, I'm a, I'm a diehard Michael Jordan Crawford fan. Uh, I can re- recite pretty much all of his statistics from last season because I keep arguing uh, how productive he was. And I would love to have him back in that position as that, you know, that kind of bench score, kind of a la Ian Clark role right now, a bit more uh, offensively concentrated, uh, 14 points per game in just 23 minutes on 39% shooting from three-point land. And and we'll we'll talk about Larry Drew the second. Of course, they're, they're not, uh, what's the word? They're not uh, guaranteeing uh, Walt Lemon for the remainder of the season. His second day, uh, his second 10-day contract has expired. Uh, so they brought in Larry Drew the second. I have some of his numbers in front of me. And and we will talk about this. I, I was going to mention that I'm all over the place. I didn't take any notes. So I'm just doing this all off the tip of my noggin. Drew Holiday, uh, Bobby Marks just announced he has reached the third bonus in his contract by playing in his 67th game and averaging 3.15 rebounds per game. He's going to earn 255000 more in addition to the 510000 he had already eclipsed by playing in 66 games. Of course, he started all 67 this year. So he just got himself an extra million dollars that year so not only is his uh his play translating on the court off the court it's also translating in his wallet let's go back to what we were just talking about i'm talking in circles and it's larry drew the second i think i have some of his numbers i wrote that here they are 11.5 points per game 7.4 assists per game 4.6 rebounds per game we'll we'll start with ollie this is all in the g league of course he was part of the pelican summer league are you expecting minutes from larry drew the second going forward no, no, not at all. And I'm mystified, honestly, as to what the Pelicans are doing. They took a stab on Walter Lamb, and then it was, you know, we had talked about that, why they did that. Drew Holly was the only one that we feel like that was able to break down their opponent and be able to get a shot off. That's where, you know, Rajon can do it on, on occasion. Same thing with Etuan. Drew Holly was literally the only guy left on the roster that could do it. So it was understandable why they went after Walter Lamb. And now Larry Drew, it's just the opposite. He's a pass-first point guard. Um, I'm not quite sure what the thinking is when, you know, Jordan Crawford is out there and I don't understand why people do belittle him because let's face it, the Pelicans, when they score over 110 points are very successful. So to me, it's like you want to sustain offensive excellence for 48 minutes. That's the key of this Pelican season. So going after a pass first point guard and we've had all our gripes, you know, with Rajon Rondo at times, why would they go after somebody in that same mold? who isn't even, you know, playing regular minutes in this league. I don't follow, honestly, because let's face it, the bench isn't guys that need to be set up that are, you know, machine, you know, scoring machines out there. Nikola Miritich has been struggling. Even Ian Clark, who has been playing better of late. I'll give you that, David. But he started, I felt like, in that game against Charlotte. He started slowly. It wasn't until the second half as to where he found his groove and he was able to really help the Pelicans kind of climb back into the game because if you guys remember their Pelicans were down six and I thought it looked awfully hopeless honestly from where I was sitting until Drew Holiday uh you know saved the day so to speak but up until that point Ian Clark kind of kept them afloat kept them within striking range because he made some really nice floaters broke down the offense so what does Larry Drew do he's not that type you know so I honestly Preston David I don't know how to answer this because I honestly don't follow the Pelicans thinking on this one uh, what's your take on this David yeah, I, I think that obviously maintaining pace has been the critical factor in in the win since DeMarcus went down. And I don't know if Drew can keep up with the kind of pace that they want to play. And he's not the offensive threat to, uh, that you need when you do take Holiday off the floor. 
uh, and you put him out there in a guard rotation. So I, I don't get it. I mean, I, you, you would think with anything, with Darius kind of going into a mini slump, with Etwan mm-hmm. going into a mini slump, you'd want guys who can create for themselves. As, as Ali stated, you want people who can get to the lane and maybe create some foul opportunities. And you're not going to do that with guys who who are at most willing to, you know, pump fake and, and take a shot. You need guys who can get to the rim. And I don't know if Drew is, is going to be able to do that at this level. He hasn't shown it when he's had opportunities in the NBA that he can get to the rim. So I, I just don't see what he adds at this point. I would have either gone and got another big for depth or, again, try to find somebody like a Jordan Crawford who can create mm-hmm. uh, scoring opportunities. All right. So we're all in agreement. We're bringing back Jordan Crawford. Uh, uh, big fan of his. Uh, you can tell that I'm partial. Uh, all, all respect to Walt Lemon Jr. I'm sure that he'll have another crack uh, at getting uh, an NBA level roster position this summer at Summer League. He'll probably, you know, get a tryout in somebody's training camp and he'll he'll have another opportunity. So best wishes to him going forward. And of course, best wishes to Larry Drew. The second hope that he can make a mark in the league. Uh, I know that a 10 day contract is is a big deal for a lot of young guys. And it's kind of a whirlwind. Alex Kennedy had a really good article on it on Hoops Hype about the stuff that these guys go through in the in the short 10 days that they have in an association with a new team, meeting up with the coaches, getting getting a lay of the land, so to speak. So hope that he finds a mold. Uh, we'll see what happens. What was I going to say? You know what? Let's just move right on to the San Antonio Spurs from there. I really wanted to, to talk about Etwan more, but uh, we're about at the 30-minute mark. So we'll we'll see if we have some time at the end to to get you guys to defend him. He was he was getting crucified on Twitter yesterday, and I don't think that he deserves it. Even Kevin Berrios was not defending him. I was astonished. But uh, we're going to talk about the San Antonio Spurs now. You guys remember that we just played them about two weeks ago in that thriller that Ali just mentioned where Anthony Davis saved the day again with that late rebound. They, they've been struggling as of late, and according to J.R. Wilco, they are not going to make the playoffs. I don't know if you guys have taken a look at their schedule. It is the hardest in the association going forward. However, they do have nine of their last 15 games at home, and they are 24-8 and eight this year at home. Right now, they're 38-30. and 30. They're tied with Utah for the eighth seed. They cannot afford to lose again, just as the Pelicans cannot. And Ali mentioned this on a previous podcast, uh, probably at the end of February before this matchup, that the Pelicans struggle at the AT&T Center. And I looked it up. The Pelicans have beaten the San Antonio Spurs one out of their last 11 tries in the AT&T Center. So they uh, they certainly have a challenge ahead of them, especially with this retooled roster that will have LaMarcus Aldridge and Pau Gasol back. We'll start with Grubb. Uh, what kind of chances do you give the Pelicans against the Spurs that just beat the Magic by 36 points last night? You know, you always you you always give um, a team like the Spurs a chance just because they're so well coached. Um, and again, the series history with these teams, you know that they they play very close to each other because of San Antonio's ability to uh, cut down on pace. And the Pelicans have struggled with the teams like Memphis, like Sacramento, um, and even to a degree with San Antonio this season um, when they are able to cut down that pace. So it's vital that the Pelicans are able to continue to run. And one of the things that I think that the Pelicans will have an advantage um, of is that what we've seen is more team defensive rebounding. And when we talked about pace earlier, I think that's been key as well because guys who get the ball instead of waiting for, and and again, this is not a slam on DeMarcus Cousins, but it's, it's just an interpretation of style and adaptation to the personnel you have because more guys are crashing the boards 
when they're able to turn, you have guards getting five and six rebounds now. So when they turn, they're able to push the ball up the court. When Anthony gets the ball, when Omeka gets the ball, he knows how to throw a good outlet and let the guards handle the ball because he's not going to do it. So I think against the Spurs, as long as they continue that approach of go everybody crashing in the glass, not relying just on Anthony to do it, um, you know, and they're attacking the offensive glass as a group as well. Uh, I think that they, they should win this game, but it will be a dogfight as the Pelicans tend to do. Um, it'll probably come down to plays executed in the last four minutes as the Pelicans and the Spurs tend to do. Uh, but I, I would I would still say the Pelicans should win this game. They should be favored in this game. Ali, something that was interesting that J.R. Wilco said on the podcast today is the the Spurs are so used to winning every game that he was under the impression that the Pelicans had been owning the Spurs as of late. Of course, the Pelicans play a little bit better against the Spurs at home, but lifetime, they are 16 and 42 against the Spurs. Uh, the Pelicans were trailing 60 to 51 at half with LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, they ended up winning the second half 70 to 56 without him. What does it tell you that the Spurs lose to a team once out of every four games and they they still see that team as a I don't know a thorn in their side yeah this has been a strange season you know this is not San Antonio Spurs of yesteryear if you guys remember the first meeting the Pelicans had with the Spurs the Spurs couldn't throw it in from the ocean I know on the on the scoreboard it looked like a really big win that was like their first real big win I felt like of the year where they knocked off the Spurs I think it was almost by like 20 points and then they followed that up with a win against the Oklahoma City Thunder. But after that, of course, we saw them just recently knock them off. As you just mentioned, Preston, they came back to win that game. The, press, the, the Spurs do not have that firepower like they had in years past. That's where they used to be able to sustain and ride their defensive excellence and turn it into good offense, quick offense, easy baskets. They don't even do that anymore. You know, I was I – was, shocked when I watched them play the Lakers earlier this month and they ended up losing that game. Um, they're losing games. Like, for instance, they were up on Houston. I don't remember if it was just recently or ago. Hey, Preston, dogs. <laughs> Buddy, you okay, man? <laughs> yeah. Settle them down. But, no, Preston, this is not the same Spurs team. So to make any kind of comparisons to uh, previous seasons is just a ridiculous thing. You can't do it. They don't have those stars. Yeah, LaMarcus Aldridge has played better, but of late, he's dealt with some injuries concerns. He's missed some games. So the Spurs really have had nobody. They've had Tony Parker show up in moments. Same thing with Manu Ginobili. But, you know, that's really been it. I think, honestly, they've been kind of disappointing if you look at everything overall. They signed Patty Mills to a decent contract. That's where everybody thought he was going to be a great get this free agency. You know what? He hasn't lived up to his billing. Um, you can say that with a lot of their other players, Danny Green, um, Kyle Anderson. These guys just haven't been consistent enough as to where they've needed to play well enough for, you know, the course of 30 to 32 minutes and uh, give the, you know, the Spurs, you know, the, that group of three, four, five guys that they can ride to a finish line. Because that's, that's seemingly their problem this year. They're not able to close out games. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with David. I feel like the Pelicans should win this game. Grand, you can you can never say you never feel comfortable saying that in the AT&T Center because it is their home court. I mean, wasn't it just a couple of years ago? I think the Spurs either went undefeated at home or they missed it by like what one game. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're careful to say that, but yet, yeah, this isn't the same team. So, I think the Pelicans obviously are going to have to come up with that effort. You know, they've got to come out with that 48 minutes, but overall, they're the more talented team. Kawhi Leonard, thankfully, you know, from the Pelicans perspective, is not going to be back. 
so they don't have to worry about their star being back and, you know, possibly leading them some kind of inspirational team win. So, yeah, Preston, I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I feel for Jared Wilco. This is, this is, you know, un, unforeseen territory for these guys. They're not used to this. I mean, not since before they even drafted Tim Duncan. So you have to expect the Pelicans that they can take, as long as they take care of business, they should be able to grab this win on Thursday. I am astonished at how confident you guys are right now against the San Antonio Spurs. You're you're absolutely spot on as far as the is- inconsistencies go. Uh, 14 different Spurs have led the team in scoring this year. So that's an, a, an astonishing statistic. It's pretty much every member of the roster has led the team at one point or another. And you think that preaches balance. But I was talking to JR and it more preaches inconsistency. And Tony Parker uh, had one quote. He said a couple of years ago, he, Manu, and uh, Tim Duncan would all look at each other at the end of game and they just knew what kind of plays they were going to execute. They knew how to get the shots they needed to close out a game. And now they're they're looking around and they see a, a whole new look roster. And here's what I'm getting at uh, that concerns me. The Spurs have not been playing well as of late. I think they've won two out of their last 11 games. However, last night they used their 24th starting lineup this year. Greg Popovich is just going to keep tinkering until he finds something that works. And this did work to perfection. Patty Mills, DeJounte Murray, Danny Green, Kyle Anderson, and LaMarcus Aldridge. This starting lineup would would take Emeka Okafor off the floor and produce some kind of version of Rajon Rondo, Drew Holiday, Etwan Moore, Nikola Meritich, and Anthony Davis. Now, the trouble here is Patty Mills and DeJounte Murray are lightning quick. Uh, Danny Green is extremely quick himself. He's aggressive. He's always moving, always floating. Kyle Anderson, just four really quick, movable guys. And the Pelicans, just out of Meritich and Rajon Rondo and Etwan Moore, one of those guys is going to get exposed on every single possession. These guys are also defensive hounds. DeJounte Murray's still young and he's still learning and he's still improving. And if he ever gets a jump shot, uh, he he could be, I don't know, a, a next level, at least a Dennis Schroeder type player. What is that in the background? I'm going to edit this out later. Do you guys hear that? I hear that. What is that? I don't know. What was that? That may be people mowing the lawn behind my apartment. Uh, if you hear it's oh, a hum. Okay. Is it a hum? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a, a hum. I was wondering yeah, that's that what you hear. Uh, but just to take it back to David Grubb for a second, um, this this new starting lineup that the Spurs are utilizing concerns me because it does expose so many weaknesses on the Pelicans' defensive side of the floor. The Pelicans have been playing better on that side of the floor as of late, though not last night against the Hornets. But does it concern you having all these fast, aggressive players on the court and removing Emeka Okafor from the starting position? Well, I mean, we saw what it did the last time they played the Spurs. The Spurs were able to get into the lane uh, mm-hmm. because of their quickness. And, and that's where – that's the – I mean, you know, after Aldridge went down, you know, so they were shorthanded in that game, but they just continued to attack and attack and use their quickness as the only advantage they really had um, to, to to claw back into that basketball game. So I think, of course, yeah, it's going to present a lot of problems. And even though the, the Pelicans have been playing considerably better – um, some of these players, um, you know, Rajon Rondo, I think, has improved his defensive rating by seven points almost. Um, you know, even though that's the case, I think the pace has had a, had a lot to do with that, with covering up some of these guys' weaknesses. But if you get into a half court and quickness becomes the separator, that's where the Pelicans are really going to have to rely on Anthony to cover ground and Drew to be able to switch um, on guys and be able to play almost like free safety um, from the guard position and, and cover multiple positions because he's going to have to cover for each one. He's going to have to cover for, for Rondo at, at points. And that, that just can't be avoided. All right. Uh, Ali, do you have a rebuttal or you want to move on? Yeah, we can move on. 
All right. Pau Gasol is going to be coming off the bench. He will be back in this one, but he's been struggling lately. Six shots per game, just 37% from the floor. He's been slower. He's had uh, shoulder issues. He's going to be wearing a sleeve in this one. And he also bruised his left knee bone. He's been back for two games at this point. So expect to see him coming off uh, the first reserve unit. And that is likely when we'll see Emeka Okafor get some minutes. Uh, before we move on, Check Diallo didn't get any playing time against the Hornets. Do you think he's going to get a bit more time against the Spurs, Ollie? I would hope so, because you know what, guys, and I'm glad you mentioned this, Preston, because it's a good segue. Uh, I want to talk about Nicole Miritich, because, guys, Miritich has been slumping, man. I don't know, I mean, how you guys feel about it, but I feel like he's forcing way too many shots within the offense, and I can't tell whether that's on his own, um, you know, agenda or the fact that the coaching staff has just basically told him, please lead the uh, reserves, but it, it hasn't looked good. I know he knocked down, what was it, like three threes in the last game against the Hornets. But outside of that, it was almost a continuation of what we've seen out of him as to where he's just not in position, whether, you know, his shoulders aren't square and he's launching the jumpers right, or he seems to be rushing either post-up moves or something around the basket. He's not in sync. And and that that's a big concern because he has to be, I feel like for the Pelicans, their third leading scorer. So if he's not providing that and he's not and he hasn't been that defensive whiz like we were all like, wow, clamoring about the first 10 games where he's getting stops, he's able to strip players or getting bodied up with them and maybe get a block. He's not doing that anymore. So I think the Pelicans honestly have to look elsewhere. And I don't understand quite what Diallo has done to earn zero minutes. He hasn't been that Diallo where we've seen in previous you know, games before this 20 game stretch since Boogie went down. He hasn't been the guy that's fouling incessantly. He's not the guy who looks completely confused or lost on the court. So I don't understand why he completely dropped out of the rotations, for instance, yesterday. Because outside Dwight Howard, who was out on the court for the Hornets that he couldn't guard? Yeah, I guess uh, Frank Kaminsky was having his way. Go ahead, David. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say is I think he would have been uh, helpful on Kaminsky uh, at that point because yeah. Kaminsky was able to turn and drive a couple of times and get those open threes. And, and you know, and, and at that point, Anthony was kind of overextending himself defensively, mm-hmm. having to rush out and cover both the space and, and Kaminsky. And I, I thought Diallo's energy, and that's one thing we talked about in the two losses, was that Diallo's energy was so consistent and his uh, activity, which is how you want him to play. So I think it's a, it had to be a step back for him mentally to say, I've been doing pretty much what I've been asked here. And, and in a game that's when all these are critical and we need the rest too, you know, he gets no minutes. I'd be confused if I were him. David, you nailed it, man. The energy thing. I turned to Kevin last night's game and I looked and I was shocked. The Pelicans had forced, I want to say, two turnovers in like the first 28 minutes of the game. And immediately my thought went to Diallo, bringing that energy guy. The Pelicans, every team that's a playoff contending team, I feel like has to have that energy guy. The guy that's going to just run up and down the court, make something happen. They don't have that. And I feel like their best chance for that is through Diallo. So you nailed it. I feel like the Pelicans were unable to get separation last night's game um, simply because they didn't get those easy baskets. Those easy runs didn't happen. And Diallo seems like the perfect focal point to make something like that happen. What do you think, Preston? Give us your sense. Oh, wow. Uh uh, honestly, wow, I'm, I'm talking now. Given my own personal take, I'm going to get crucified on Twitter after this. Uh, I definitely, 
I definitely like the way that he's played as of late. The the problem with inserting Diallo on the floor is you have to take you don't necessarily have to take Okafor off. You can pair the two of them together. That's often where Nikola Meritish's minutes come. Mm-hmm. And and here's my segue. Uh, Nikola Meritish has not been shooting well for the Pelicans, just 41% from the floor, although 34% from three. But he does a lot of other things that are very important. Uh, he's been playing great defense. He's been uh, doing a wonderful job rebounding. He's even added some offensive rebounds to his rep- repertoire. So I'm hesitant to take him off for a great substantial amount of time. However, I do want to continue developing Czech Diallo. As we've all seen, he gets better and better on a nightly basis. But one thing that we did see about Kaminsky, while he did get what he wanted offensively, the Pelicans did a remarkable job of keeping him off the boards. And it was it was part due to heady play by guys like Emeka Okafor, by guys like Nikola Meritich, who just know how to position their bodies, know how to bounce out defenders, create that space, allow the Pelicans to win the rebounding battle. Maybe that was something that Alvin Gentry was hesitant of, uh, these, these smart scoring guys like Frank Kaminsky, like uh, Dwight Howard, who are so well able to position their bodies to get these offensive boards where the Hornets are number one in the NBA. And the Pelicans did a great job of mitigating all of that. So maybe that's something that we saw, but we definitely are going to need check Diallo's energy in this one against a lot of these guys like these Bryn Forbes types and these Davis Bertans type, these, these big, long athletic guys who like to get out to the perimeter uh, that's not really a Mecca Okafor's forte. He provides a lot of energy, and like we have done to death, his body positioning is exquisite. But with Diallo, you need that energy. And this game against the Spurs might be an excellent time to utilize that aggressiveness, those long arms, get him out in the perimeter where, where he likes to be. He does have that foot speed, and he does have those sort of intangibles. Uh, so I, I definitely think that we'll see him more at this one. The the. The player that I want to take off the floor against the Hornets, and this is something that I want to ask you guys, I, I don't mind Meritish's minutes. I think his shooting touch is going to come back to him. We saw him play so well in his first couple of games with the Pelicans. I think he's kind of done this backwards. We thought he would struggle at the onset and then get better, but he's done it in reverse. One player who has been struggling, who hasn't been shooting the ball, who's been uh, right about even uh, of his positive net rating, although last night he was a a negative seven in just 10 minutes, it's Darius Miller. He's been struggling. He's a guy who could potentially, uh, you know, trade out some of his minutes to check the yellow. Would you, Ali be interested in in giving Darius Miller a little less playing time lately, maybe get his head back on straight and insert him back in two to three games to see if he can rediscover what he's lost the last few weeks. Nope. <laughs> Not <laughs> all, man. I thought, honestly, before his recent, you know, game, game and a half stretch of where he's disappeared again, I thought he had his, he compiled his best six quarters in the Pelicans uniform. Against the Wizards, he was the only one that seemed to have that aggressive mentality and be able to make his shot. He, you know, went off for 20 points, knocked down four threes. Then in the Utah game, he had a great first half. I think he went four for six. And it wasn't it wasn't just he was making jumpers. He was breaking down opponents from the uh, perimeter. That's where he was getting to the rim, and he was actually looking to finish. So I don't understand, to me, why from game to game, it, it, it's like an on-off thing with him. Why is there no consistency whatsoever to this game? You know, is it, it just is it strictly in his head? Is it, you know, part of the coach's game planning as to where he's literally trying to follow it to a T? I don't know, but I don't think that's the right answer, Preston. I think, honestly, he's one of the best, you know, top six, seven players easily on a Pelicans roster right now that's healthy. So he has to be out there playing. You have to take that risk that he may have that off game because you know what? Him knocking down a couple threes, making a couple plays off the bench is legitimately that important to the Pelicans 
chances for a win right now because as we've seen they can't pull away they can't get those comfortable margins and sustain them they need to be able to throw out guys that can make a difference be able to make plays i think that's what it's about and he can do it so no i can't agree with that whatsoever even though he's coming off probably what was it this charlie game maybe his worst game he's had since you know the beginning of the season Grub in the previous four games, not including Washington and Utah against Charlotte, against Sacramento, against the Clippers and against Dallas in 100 minutes of game time, Darius Miller contributed eight points. Now, of course, that's taking away the Wizards in the Utah game where he was very productive. He scored a combined 31 in those two games. Do you see his confidence dissipating at this point or is this a small sample size? I think, you know, he's probably just going through some ups and downs because on a night to night basis, the way that the offense has to kind of adjust to whatever and whoever is hot. Um, But he can be more aggressive. I think one of the things that we really want to see Darius develop is that secondary play, the ability to get to the rim. And I think sometimes if the three point shot is not available to him, he can uh, defer to the point where he's not a factor. So if he could get some easy baskets, maybe find a way to get a layup in transition, um, you know, do some some screens for him to get him on the move uh, and moving towards the basket like they've done for Etwan before, you know, getting those back cuts. Let him get involved in the offense in a way that doesn't require him to handle the ball, but just to finish. And, and maybe that confidence starts to come back. But with the, the again, with the depth issues, the amount of games that they have coming up over the next week, they can't afford for him to not play significant minutes. He has to be on the floor and he has to be a threat offensively. Now, the Pelicans have had 21 different players log minutes this season. There's been a lot of changeover and a lot of ups and downs for players like Darius Miller and like Etwan Moore and like Ian Clark. We've seen some of them hot at times. We've seen some of their play drop off at times. The Pelicans, of course, have been much better defensively in the past three months, although they've lost a bit of their offensive touch as far as three-point shooting goes. But they're scoring at a really important clip. In their last 11 uh, wins, they've scored 114 points or more in each of them. Uh, Ollie, the Pelicans are just going to keep scoring aren't they that's what they need to do man i'm telling you we, we i touched on it briefly the best way for the pelicans to win games this year is by putting up points and when they have surpassed that 110 mark uh points per game they're 32 and 8 on the season so defense is not going to win them games it hasn't all year don't expect it to start now especially with you know you look look at the bench you look at what's behind ad at the center position in Omeka. They, they literally have nothing. The rim protection kind of goes away. And, of course, we've always had those issues on the perimeter where outside of Drew Holiday, who can lock down somebody? You know, who's going to be able to contest those shots and yet not let that opposing player get to the rim? So it's not defense that's going to get the Pelicans to play off. It's offense. So that's why I think Dave and I are both in agreement with Darius Miller. He needs to keep playing because he's liable to go off, you know, for a quick 12, 14, 15 points in a game in, the, you know, just 15 minutes because of his shot. Um, here's something I want to quickly talk about too. And it kind of goes on with what we're talking about. Who do you guys think is now the Pelicans third most important player? I was thinking about this in yesterday's game and he clearly made it evident last night. And I think it's Rajon Rondo because let's face it. If Drew Holiday isn't making it happen, if AD isn't literally able to overwhelm a team with his prowess, who else can the Pelicans rely on to be able to either create or throw up points? And, you know, I honestly think like Rajon Ron didn't get enough credit for what he did last night. So I think it's interesting. What do you guys think? You think Rajon Rondo needs to now go ahead and assert himself as to where before he was deferring himself, you know, just deferring too much. Should he now be that equal when he's got the ball? I'm going to look to score or I'm going to look to pass, but I'm going to look to make a play more than anything. 
kind of role? I'll start with you it. To- uh, yeah, okay, uh, I'll take and then I'll go to... I think we're seeing a very different Rajon Rondo with DeMarcus Cousins out of the lineup, much like how we've seen different play translated with Drew Holiday. Of course, he is that locker room leader, that chemistry guy. He's been telling Drew Holiday he's the best scoring guard, uh, at least offensively, the best cutter uh, since the beginning of the season. You guys remember those training camp quotes, and he's the guy always in the ear of DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis saying, nobody can stop you guys. Nobody matches up with you guys. You guys can inflict your will on people. He's he's the the locker room presence that they've desperately needed, that IQ guy, the guy the Chicago Bulls said was their number one teammate last year so he provides a lot of those intangibles uh defensively he struggles at time he doesn't quite have the foot speed he doesn't fight over screens he left he kind of fell asleep on a timeouts inbounds uh last night when frank kaminsky had like a full four seconds to Mm -hmm. diagnose whether or not he was going to take that shot before he finally did so he does have uh he, he does have his I don't know, the things that hinders a team in in crunch time. And you see Ian Clark get a lot of those minutes. However, when the Pelicans struggle, Rajon Rondo is critical to getting them jump started on the offensive end. He he just knows where everybody goes. You can just see, like, last night, Miritich found an open shooter and Darius Miller, but he just didn't get the ball where Darius needed it. It was kind of right at his knees, uh, right above his ankles. And, of course, it clanked off the back of the rim. And that's where Rajon Rondo is so smart, so heady, and so talented that he can get the ball in the places that makes these guys comfortable. So, yes, he is critical. With that being said, I, I think you can make an argument for, Nikola Miritich. I think you can make an argument for Emeka Okafor, at least last night against the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, his revitalized career has just been so astounding to watch a 35-year-old guy who hasn't played an NBA uh, minute in four years, uh, really slowing down what Dwight Howard and Frank Kaminsky were able to do on the glass and Martin Williams among them. But I think Rajon Rondo is probably a good pick. What do you think, David? Yeah, I'd have to go with Rondo now, um, particularly because of his ability to maintain the pace. Uh, if if he's not pushing it, you know, Drew, we know, can sometimes want to slow down and, and assess things. But Rondo's able to compute things at a much faster rate and adjust to the defense and, and get guys open and see things that other guys on this team just don't see. So as long as they're able to cover for him defensively with the pace, uh, he becomes that much more valuable. And when he stays aggressive, especially in attacking the hoop, I don't really want to see him shoot a whole bunch of threes. I mean, there are nights when he's in rhythm and he does a couple of heat checks and you go, oh, he hit him. But it's really him his, him finishing at the rim. And you get frustrated when he he misses some easy layups and is able to make very difficult ones. But at least when he's getting in there, we know that he's either going to score or try to drop it off to somebody who's in a better position. And so, yeah, I think right now, it, without him running the offense, there's, there would be trouble. Uh, I want to move on for a second, unless you have anything to add to that, Ollie. No, I just want to say, Rajon Rondo, last three games, one three-point attempt. <laughs> so I, I think he's doing what we want him to do. I don't know if this makes you guys nervous. Uh, I saw him at the three-point line a couple of times last night where the shot clock was kind of dwindling down, and he was in the corner. He had a defender in his face, but you could tell he was thinking about taking it, and I was like, please, no, please, no, please dribble, penetrate, please. Uh, so, But he he has been keeping defensive on, defenses honest with his three-point shooting at least. It's something like 35% on the, on the year. I don't have that statistic in front of me. Something that I did want to talk about, you guys, and have a little debate about, uh, I was talking with JR earlier about the, the Kawhi quad injury and how 
the Spurs medical staff has deemed him ready to play, but his own camp has not given him the green light. And it, it brought me back to thinking about Quincy Pondexter, you know, having guys outside of the facility watch you versus guys inside the facility. And then that brought me back to Solomon Hill. And we, we've seen a lot of conflicting reports. Maybe he's ready to come back. Maybe it's going to be February. Maybe it's going to be all-star break. It could be, it, it won't be uh, on that three game road trip, but it'll be when we get back against, uh, I can't remember who the home game was uh, this last Friday or Saturday night, but we're still waiting for word and nobody's really giving us any answers. And I know that a lot of his rehabilitation before he came back with the team uh, was done in Los Angeles. And so too with Quincy Pondexter and Kawhi Leonard, a lot of these guys opt to do their rehab outside of their respective facilities. What is your response to the idea of these guys kind of like getting their own medical help and then coming back and just kind of having those, those lingering issues? Does it, does it cause, uh, I don't know, a conflict between the player and the team. What's your thought, David? Well, I think it is important for players to take, um, you know, their own, have their own assessments because again, team employees, no matter what they say, do work for the team and they have to make their, their calls on the, what's in the best interest of the team and balance that with, with what's in the best interest of the uh, player. But I think those things should be done in conjunction there should be correspondence between the, the team's medical staff and whomever the player is training with or is under the care of. Um, if that hasn't been the case with Solo, and I don't know, um, but it is concerning. It is concerning both he and Frank Jackson. You know, we've been waiting all year just to get real information about them. And the last conversation with Solo that we heard, it didn't sound like he was extremely confident. Um, you know, he talked about the strength in his leg not being there yet. He talked and, and we're talking about 15 games at this point. So how much time is there really to get him up to speed? And then what kind of impact can he really have? Um, it's just I, I don't I don't I can't rely on Solomon Hill being an impact player at this stage. Um, but it is it, it is a concern when somebody hasn't healed from this type of injury at this stage in the season. And Ollie, we haven't heard about anything from Frank Jackson, like David just said. In addition to that, what's going on with Alexis Agenso? We haven't heard a peep from him since uh, I think right around training camp. Uh, it's just, it's it's a precarious situation. It's one that's that's concerning. It's something that we see around the association, but just not being able to get knowledge from these guys or, or from their respective teams. Uh, Greg Popovich had a nice quote the other day when somebody said, hey, what do you have to say about Kawhi Leonard not showing up on Thursday? And he said, well, who said that he was going to play on Thursday? And they said, oh, well, there was an ES." ESPN report. I want to say it was Tim McMahon. I can't remember specifically. And he said, Oh, you got that from ESPN. Well, they would know. (laughs) It's a a pretty funny moment, but uh, what's your take on this, Ollie? Uh, I'm looking at, you you just mentioned three injured players, but there, you got to look at it all, you know, in three different lights, basically. Alexia Jensen was never really expected. I feel like to be relied upon by this team this season when they had DeMarcus and Anthony Davis. You know, and the fact that I'm guessing his rehabilitation or whatever's going on, it was never after he it was announced he had to go underneath or undergo surgery that he would be able to return, be able to be a contributing factor. So right off right there, you you know, you kind of stop with wondering what's going on with Alexei, because you're right. He he hasn't even been around the team from what I understand. I I'm yet to see him in practices in the locker room around the team, period. So it sounds like to me, he's pretty much been done for the season ever since he underwent surgery. Frank Jackson, yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, we all remember, David, when we heard what he was supposed to come back. It was right around sometime in December, and he was going to come back, and he was going to jump right in the G League, get some experience there. Nothing, nothing since that time. And Solomon Hill, 
this is the biggest mind scanner because you had, you know, Alvin Gentry just right before the Utah game talking about how, well, he's going to be back real soon as to when exactly no one knows, but that it was like roughly around the corner that it could be just as easily as this upcoming weekend. And of course, Solomon Hill joins Sean Kelly on the black and blue report and says, I have no clue. Basically, I couldn't tell you either. He said as to what date he could come back. And then, of course, David just alluded to he talked about the strength in his leg. It's not there. So you have to wonder, is there a disconnect? Is there one party pushing another a little bit further? And as to where the other one's not, you know, and then I'm talking about Solomon Hill, where he's just not comfortable coming back, not feeling at 100 percent. Is he fearing a risk of injury? Is is you know, we don't know if it's psychological, physical, what at this point. But either way, none of it sounds promising. And David's right. 15 games remain. And Preston, I know you've been mentioning how many days are left in the season. So we're under a month. And, you know, at this point, I honestly don't expect Solomon Hill to come back uh, to play anything meaningful for the Pelicans to uh, contribute to their playoff run. I really don't. I think the best case scenario is that he continues to rehab um, and then maybe he could somehow show up in the playoffs and he could provide like some kind of spark off the bench. But other than that, nope, I think from, you know, from this point forward, I've lost all expectations for the season. And it's just for him. It's, it's, it's all about next year. 15 games in the next 28 days. And I'm going to throw this to Grub and get some predictions just to run you guys on the slate. The Pelicans have left. They have the fifth hardest schedule remaining. They've got the Spurs followed by the Rockets, Celtics, Mavericks, Pacers, Lakers, Rockets, Trailblazers, Cavaliers, Thunder, Grizzlies, Suns, Warriors, Clippers, Spurs. So it's not going to get any easier after this weekend, and the Pelicans are not going to have rest on their side. Uh, Let's get some predictions from Grubb. I know you expect a win tomorrow night against the Spurs, but this Saturday and Sunday, they're facing both the Rockets and the Celtics. How do you think they come away from this weekend? I think they get the split. Um, I think they lose to the Rockets, but they beat the Celtics. Well, the Celtics are shorthanded right now. I think they only have eight and a half able bodies for tonight's game, but they do have, I guess, four nights to rest and recover before Sunday. Marcus Smart is likely done for the year. Uh, what's your thought, Ollie? Now I'm with David. I think they've got to grab that San Antonio one. That's going to be the big one. And then you hope that they can beat a Boston team that maybe without Kyrie, Jalen Brown, uh, was it Teese, their, their role players done for the year. Horford's coming off an illness. So they're hurting. There's no doubt. And the Pelicans have got to be able to take care of, you know, a team that's coming in limping on their home court. So I agree. I, you hope that they just split. You know, that Rockets game is going to be tough. They're going to be firing on all cylinders. But they got to get the Spurs game, and they should be able to get the Celtics game. And, of course, then there's the Mavs. So you hope, honestly, that they can go 3-1 and one because, as you just mentioned, the rest of the schedule, it gets a lot tougher. And there's not going to be, you know, from what we can see right now, there's not going to be any kind of these uh, – you know, allowances where the Pelicans are going to be able to get away with playing a half a roster or whatever like that. The Pelicans have, I want to say, six games in the next eight nights uh, because after the Celtics matchup, they have an unprecedented, I think it's the first time this has ever happened since the lockout shortened season. They're going to have the Mavs on Tuesday, the Pacers on Wednesday, and the Lakers on Thursday. Uh, So a tough slate coming up. Uh, Thank you guys so much for joining us. Again, I've been joined by David Grubb at DM Grubb and Ali Cosell at O-L-E-H-K-O-S-E-L, in case you guys don't know how to spell it. Uh, Before I let you guys go, thank you so much. Ali, when is that AD MVP uh, piece dropping? Well, I had a friend in town, as you know. (laughs) Get to work on it as soon as I can once you let me go. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to try and get it up sometime tomorrow. If not, then definitely the next day. 
All right, I'll take care of this uh, podcast. David, at Crescent City Sports, uh, what do you guys have working on? Um, I'm working actually on a couple of things. Uh, one on the outside of to collect uh, some guys uh, about the coaching lineage from Edna Carr that's kind of gone throughout the city of New Orleans now. And then just on the Pelican side, I'm going to go a little bit more in depth on Etwan Moore and see where he's been this season and where he may be, uh, you know, what his future may be. Love it. Looking forward to that one. Uh, thank you guys again. If you have the time, go over on iTunes or on your Apple podcast app. It's a little purple app on your iPhone. Give us five stars. We really appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe, retweet this, spread it with all your friends. Uh, every little bit helps. Of course, congratulations to one of the winners of Kevin Berrios' giveaway. He still has yet to offer the other two tickets. And I can't remember. I want to say that's for the Pacers game on Wednesday. So congratulations to those guys. Thank you, everyone who participated. Hopefully, we'll have another giveaway before the season ends uh grateful to kevin for setting that up for now i'm preston ellis make sure that you guys check out the preview to the spurs matchup with jr wilco he does a wonderful job breaking down pretty much everything that's going on with the san antonio spurs and their organization uh we'll probably have kevin back i want to say what do you think monday recapping all of this or do you want to do one friday ollie huh <laughs> oh, never mind. We'll, we'll talk about it after i caught him unawares uh for now i'm Leave me preston- Sorry, <laughs> I got it. Alone, I'm working. <laughs> All right, you guys. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Let's go, Bells. You have been listening to The Bird Calls. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our podcast today. Say Metro by T-Mobile. Got the best deal in wireless, and it's all for you, all for me. Just switch quickly, because Metro has two lines for 80 and two Samsung Galaxy J7 Star phones for free, plus Amazon Prime included. That's the way wireless should be, only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. $50 plus rate plan required. Not valid for numbers currently on T-Mobile Network or on Metro in past 90 days. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets. Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody. No. I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with GEICO. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it. GEICO could save you 15% or more on car insurance.